interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This episode, Matt Kelly and I take a deep dive into the issue of cybersecurity, compliance, and ERP programs. What happens when an ERP software is compromised due to a bug or other vulnerability? How does this risk your corporate ERP systems? What are the compliance implications? What about internal audit? What about corporate governance? What if a bad guy gets into your ERP system and wires money out without your even knowing about it or creates a false trail which would point you towards an FCPA violation or other legal violation? Explore all of these questions in this most fascinating episode. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for our episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt, welcome. Hello, Tom. Good to be back again. Matt, last week you wrote about perhaps the unsexiest subjects in compliance, ERP systems, but you actually managed to make it terrifying at the same time. So could you tell us how you could take uh, a pedestrian topic and make it one of the most terrifying blog posts you've written in recent memory? Well, I, Tom, I think that ERP software systems are just terribly sexy for compliance and audit professionals. Um, so here's what's going on. is a cybersecurity outfit that is headquartered up in Boston here, whom I know, Onapsis. They published a report last week looking at vulnerabilities in SAP systems. And they were exploring how cyber attackers, uh, of any, who are they? We don't know. Where do these people live? You know, North Korea, Iran, wherever, New Jersey. Um, How attackers can find vulnerabilities in SAP software and then how quickly the attackers can develop an exploit to take advantage of that. Uh, They can do it. They can do it quickly. And what happens once they have an exploit that can pierce your SAP software is all manner of mischief that they can cause. And we can get into what are the applications they break into? What do they look at? But by not protecting yourself with vulnerabilities uh, and patching up that software, you create the potential for a host of compliance risks. And that would span from privacy to Sarbanes-Oxley to anti-corruption issues, um, for financial fraud, if the attackers just wanna steal money from you and we can talk about how all of that works. But it was really interesting to me because, okay, fair point, vulnerability in your ERP software is a pretty esoteric issue and not necessarily one that a lot of corporate compliance officers who largely went to law school that you would be all that familiar with. So it is a cybersecurity problem, but if not approached and 
governed correctly, this can very quickly become a big regulatory compliance nightmare. So when we get back to, yet again, the time-honored question of who owns this and what are the roles and responsibilities to take care of it, really unclear. Um, but the underlying threat of these vulnerabilities, which is what Onapsis put a report out for last week, it really is some pretty disturbing stuff. Matt, could we st- take a step back and uh, given the lawyer nature training that I had and perhaps others in the compliance field, could you tell us what you mean by ERP software systems? Sure. So ERP software systems are going to be any of these big, huge business. I think it actually stands for enterprise resource planning software. But this is going to be like SAP, which runs on just about all large companies in the world. Um, Onapsis threw in some statistics, like 45 of the largest 50 utilities in the world run their business software on SAP. It doesn't necessarily have to be just SAP. Uh, A lot of you listening might know that your systems also maybe run on Oracle. That is another rival to SAP. Some of them do run on Microsoft. Some of them might run on some sort of homegrown systems. Um, some of your ERP software might actually be a mix and match, um, where maybe you get some of your applications like HR and supply chain management and finance from SAP, but you get some of the others like, um, oh, I don't know, human capital management and business continuity planning that might come from a different one, but ERP software systems are large. Um, you can jerry-rig them and fine-tune them to your specific organization to high heaven. And they have a lot of vulnerabilities in them. Um, And vulnerabilities are flaws in the software code that can lead to somebody taking advantage of or somehow exploiting the weakness because you have not sealed up that that weakness, that vulnerability in your software. Um, think about all the patch updates you get on, you know, I run a Mac. Um, think about all of the problems you get when, um, you know, your app says, can you do this update? Well, yeah, sure. And where does the update come from? You don't really know. But that is their updating vulnerabilities they found in their software. These are for apps for consumers. ERP software systems, same sort of idea, just scaled up business grade, you know, really robust software for all your mission critical tasks. Matt, you've used a couple of terms there, vulnerabilities and exploits. I was wondering if you might uh, use that to explain the the two basic types of attacks on uh, software systems inside of a corporation. Yeah, so vulnerabilities are flaws. And okay, there are flaws in the software code. ERP software has millions of lines of code. You're going to have vulnerabilities. Not often will you know them right away, despite all the rigorous debugging that goes on. So what will happen is somebody, maybe it's going to be SAP or the software ERP company. Maybe it's going to be them. Maybe it's going to be a cybersecurity analyst uh, or some firm out there. Uh, They're going to find a vulnerability. They will say to themselves, oh, crap, it's a vulnerability. We need to fix it. They will come up with a patch. Now, here's where it gets interesting, Tom, is once you announce to the world, there is a vulnerability in our software. Please install this patch right away. Not only have you given your customers a alert that they have a vulnerability and here's this tool, the solution to seal it up, 
You've told everybody else in the world, this is the vulnerability right here. It's on line 968,000. This is the vulnerability. So all the attackers will know this too, because you've put out a patch and they will reverse engineer the patch to say, ah, here's the weakness. Let's come up with an exploit to take advantage of that hole in the software and then get into the system and do what? All manner of mischief. And Tom, we can get to that again. But so it's a cycle. And the Onapsis report was interesting because it sketched out how long this cycle takes to go from company announces vulnerability in a patch to hackers saying, ah, let's figure out if we have an exploit to hackers saying, let's scan all the ERP systems in the world because we're going to just bombard your website to see if you have it. And we'll develop an exploit so that as we bombard, if we find you haven't patched it yet, we get in. That whole cycle from announcing a patch to developing an exploit to take advantage of the fact that you haven't patched it yet, 72 hours. Large company with thousands and thousands of workstations around the world, you have 72 hours to be able to patch up your software before the attackers have come over the wall and they're running rampant in your system. I found that the most uh, terrifying part of your blog post. You have a really neat graphic on that. I don't think I can paste it into the podcast show notes, but we certainly link to your blog post. So I would suggest everyone check out the patch to exploit cycle. Now you talked about maybe two uh, things from the compliance perspective that I was able to garner. One was maybe three. One was internal controls. One was internal mm-hmm. audit. And the third was governance. I'd like you to maybe focus on the governance governance, and where do you see compliance coming in from a governance angle around this? Well, first, let's back up a bit and just talk a little more about what is the actual damage that a hacker could do? Because you didn't patch the software and they had an exploit and they found that your system hadn't patched it yet and boom, they get in. So what happens next? Well, the first thing... Actually, according to Onassis and the state, was the first thing that hackers do is they patch the software because they found the broken door in your system and they snuck in. And once they're in, the first thing they want to do is seal it up. So the door now looks fine. And now you look around and say, okay, I don't have a problem, I guess, because they're already in. It's the first thing they do. Second thing they do is they run rampant all through your data. And what could they actually do? They could look at your employee and customer data. So there's a privacy violation. They could execute a wire transfer of funds from your bank account to God knows where. So there's fraud and there's a financial loss. Uh, They could do something like create a new vendor and put that in your master vendor list. And then suddenly somebody on the inside could start sending payments to that vendor. Um, That's an FCPA violation. It is also, bonus, a Starbanes-Oxley violation because you don't have enough control over your vendor list. So they've done all of this damage. And here's where it's really killer is that it is not a traditional cybersecurity attack that we mostly think about where they steal your user credentials and they log in as you and they initiate a wire transfer or they export everybody's W-2 data or all of that stuff that we see with phishing attacks. This is the part that people have to understand because the vulnerabilities don't involve logging in 
uh, don't involve you assuming somebody's identity and stealing their credentials. All of those user access controls, all of the passwords, all of the audit logs about who did what and all the audit trails, none of it matters because they're not users, because there's no roles. So we have two different types of cybersecurity threat. And one is, oh yeah, they send you a phishing attack, you fall for it, they steal your user ID and password, they're posing as you, and you can track those kind of things. They still, they're damaging, but you can solve them. This, what Onapsis looked at with vulnerabilities, is a wholly different type of threat. They don't have to log in. It's a hard-coded C prompt and commands and all of this stuff that I'm not a complaintist. I don't understand it, except to know that they can get in there. They can evade all of the applications, get right into the data and start feeding in new data or taking out old data. And all of these internal controls that you have for the first type of attack with false authentication, they don't work. There's nothing to them. These are unauthenticated attacks. So now, Tom, to get back to your first question, does this actually have to do with compliance? Well, aside from all regulatory compliance threats that I just talked about, the privacy violations, the anti-fraud, the FCPA issues, the Sarbanes-Oxley issues, um, aside from all of that, the, the challenge is how you assure that your patch management systems are working effectively. This is not easy to do, uh, especially if you have 20,000 employees and they're all touching the ERP system software somehow. They're in six different continents on 19 different countries. Um, they're running different types of software on their computers along with the ERP. How do you figure out how to manage all of that? A CISO's challenge. I, that is the CISO's job is to make sure patch management works, but they don't necessarily understand the urgency because they're not necessarily story compliance people. The compliance people don't understand the security challenges here or necessarily maybe even the internal control issues because we all study internal controls for due diligence and we're looking at Justice Department guidelines and we're dealing with investigations. And then there is this elf problem that can tie your function in us afterwards, but the people in charge of making sure that doesn't happen, the CISO and the IT security people, not necessarily the most well-versed in how severe the compliance risk is. So we have this melding of really difficult circumstances that, that Tom gets what I had said before, I think roles and responsibilities and who owns this. And it's really done a lot of organizations to make sure that they are on top of it. So typically, if you came to me in compliance, in cybersecurity compliance, or any other type of compliance, I'd say, okay, you've identified a threat. Let me go assess our risks, and then I'll put a risk management program around that. But if there are either no vulnerabilities currently, or there are vulnerabilities that we cannot detect, we don't detect a risk. So then we don't start the risk management process. How do you begin to think through managing this if you can't identify anything other than an ex a, a vulnerability in someone else's software? Uh, I would first recommend that compliance officers sit with their CISOs and talk about this a lot and make sure that everybody has 
gotten their heads around, around the threat that we're talking about. Um, I think that CISOs would probably understand somebody inserting a vendor into the master vendor list without any clearance and no way to detect that that's happened. Like, okay, yeah, that must be a problem somehow, but they wouldn't necessarily know how. Um, you would want to sit down with them to make sure how do they stay on top of patch management and how do they give it the proper urgency. Now, if we're at a Fortune 100 company, they know that this is a deal to think about this kind of a thing. Um, so in that case, you know, I wouldn't necessarily worry a whole lot about the largest ones, but I really do worry about mid-sized companies that they might not have a, a very adequate security. Um, Tom, we've only talked about the largest software vendor in the SAP, Oracle, one of the second or third software vendor in the world. They also are aware of this and they have systems to try and fight it. We haven't talked about the fact that there are dozens of other business apps that run on your corpse all, all the time. How do you know security is good? How do you know that they have managed their patch management for their AD systems to make sure that they don't get infected, somebody closes the door behind them so they don't know anymore that they are infected and then there's malware there that then gets past you because you haven't necessarily governed your software supply chain as thoroughly as we should. And this is exactly 2AT. This is what happened with the SolarWinds attack. Now, SolarWinds is its own proprietary software. It wasn't SAP, but SolarWinds fell victim to hackers and they burst in, they infected solar winds and then infected actually patchment system. So when solar winds stood around last year, their quarterly upgrade for Olimers, they didn't just give them the upgrade, they gave them the infection that the Russian agents had introduced to solar. Uh, and, and then suddenly we're all off to the race. Everybody's been exposed, everybody's infected. And, you know, it sounds like an STD outbreak he'd say but, but nonetheless this is the sort of challenge that people have to think about um you know and frankly if you were an attacker it's much easier to do this uh, or you know if you are determined to infiltrate it i'll put it that way you know the good way to do it because it's such an insidious way to attack um the other in, interesting thing about the onaps i'll circle back to that just one more time is there were a lot of people who thought this type of unauthenticated attack would be theoretical, but from a hacker's perspective, like why bother? You would just use this, you know, sure brute phishing attacks, just fish every single company in the world. And if they don't fall for it, you move on to the next one. But, you know, it's that's a much easier way to attack a company than to penetrate their vulnerabilities with an exploit. And people thought, Theoretical, but really, is it that serious? Because all the authenticated attacks, the bogus phishing and the credentials, that's probably you just you run the numbers on that. Or Onapsis' report proved that's not actually the case. You get back to that 72-hour window. This is easy for hackers to do, is to attack on vulnerabilities if they want. And for the very largest companies that have really valuable assets, they're going to be a more lucrative target. So hackers will put in the effort, even if in some way it is harder for them to penetrate your ERP software. The payoff is going to be 
And that's the solar winds again is shows because solar winds was catering to the largest businesses in the world. They were catering to the most highly sensitive U.S. government agencies. So Russia did this because it was going to be a good payoff for Russia. They were not some nickel and dime hackers from, you know, Azerbaijan or something like that, just looking to get a quick payoff. Uh, so you really do have to address this. And the bigger your enterprise is, yes, the more sophisticated their cybersecurity systems are, but the bigger a target they have on their back. And you've got all sorts of regulatory nightmares that can come about if you fail. So like, it's an arming situation that requires a, a team approach, but you know, you've, you've got a lot to think about here. In a phishing attack, uh, as a response, we would typically look at uh, employee training, yeah. uh, perhaps even drills or ongoing communications to look for uh, red flags around emails or h- how to or who to raise a concern to. Is there any type of training that can help employees uh, around this type of um, exploit? Broader sense that you're talking about, Tom, I would say no, because uh, they're never going to see it um you know cybersecurity teams specifically should they be thinking about you know appropriate patch management and the procedures for that that's a very mind sort of training that we're talking about and what you mean you know you can't train them for this sort of attack because see it and there's it's that uh at best maybe you could talk about the need for appropriate patch management and um if your particular workstation crops up and says you have a patch, should we install it or not? Um, yeah, that might not be a question that you'd want the employee to answer. This is Tom Fox, and you might want to let the IT security people decide when weeks. it's time to update a patch. But in each Monday, it's more about computer IT system. We live so that comes up for the workstation user. The patch is just rolled overnight from a global level from IT central command. Again, you know, we're way far away from training. But the difficult part here to think about is that there are no users exposed in this an audio podcast because it's not about exploiting new centrals. It's about exploiting in the software. Um, into the weeds is a production so of a lot of the traditional network, prophylactic measures that we would radio. take to train your employees, that's going to apply here. It does apply to phishing, and phishing is still a big deal. And I'm not saying ignore phishing and focus on this. I'm saying there are two halves to this threat, or there's a left and a right fist punching at you. We're only talking about hand punching at your workforce. Um, There is a very significant other threat coming from a different direction that Onassis laid out, uh, and others have also laid this out. It's not new per se, but they've just painted a very vivid picture of just how severe this kind of problem can be. Um, The way you would solve this probably is to hire a security firm Lo and behold, Onapsis would put itself out. So they do have a commercial interest in talking about this problem. That's fine. But they would then basically run a study of your SAP against all known vulnerabilities in SAP. Find which ones you haven't patched and then show the CISO, probably the CFO, and say, here's all your flaws. You have to patch these right now. And that's the remediation plan. Um, its thing is going to help you 
But again, there's going to be new flaws, sure. Uh, we haven't even talked about vulnerabilities that an attacker might find, and they're never going to tell anyone so they can keep exploiting it. It's a disturbing world, but I just wanted to, I guess, maybe pry the rock over and people can see them underbelly things that are scurrying around underneath. That sounds like a good way to end this, Matt. So I hope uh, we can come back with some <laughs> a little more positive views on this in the future. All right, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will join Matt and I each Monday at 3 p.m. Central where we live stream Compliance Into the Weeds. And you can pitch questions to us and be part of the engagement and commentary. If you have any questions for Matt, you can reach him at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope you will uh, join us again for an audio podcast or the live stream once again at 3 p.m. Central Time each Monday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.